Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. If you've been enjoying the podcast, make sure you subscribe and tell all your cycling friends. And of course, download the Unfound app and join our global community of travel-loving cyclists. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Stu Bowers. Stu was an elite mountain biker and cycle cross racer, competing as a pro and representing Team GB in both disciplines. He was also a team mechanic for the British team before becoming the technical specialist for Cycling Weekly. Eight years ago, he joined the team that launched Cyclist Magazine as their deputy editor. And last year, he launched their new Cyclist Off-Road publication, where he is the editor. He's traveled the world racing, creating some amazing cycling content, riding some of the coolest bikes there are to ride and we chat all that and a load more so let's crack on with it Stu thank you very much for joining us how are you getting on good thank you yeah pleasure to be here well thank you very much for joining us obviously for a lot of us lockdown has has meant that we haven't been working and it's been a bit quieter but you've been as busy as ever from what I understand yeah absolutely I mean uh, yeah the cycling industry is definitely not uh, not taking a back step through lockdown in fact it's probably the reverse everything seems to have gone into overdrive um, with a you know massive sort of booming interest in in bikes from the sort of mass participation side of things obviously the racing side of things has had to completely be curtailed yeah but uh, yeah I mean that's a a separate entity I guess but uh, no on the whole we're super busy I mean, uh, the magazine is still going out there uh, on the shelves and our website and, and all that stuff is still, you know, super hungry for information. So in terms of my job, yeah, tons of uh, tons of work to do still. So. <laughs> tons of stuff to keep you out of trouble. Well, even even more thank you then for, for taking the time to join us. So before we crack on to, to the magazine and, and, and where we're at with stuff now, let, let's go back a bit. T- talk us through your, your background as a cyclist, when you got into it and, you know, when you realised you're pretty good at it as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, I hope we got a while. It's a long story. <laughs> I'll try and try and keep it uh, the abridged version, shall we say? I've always been into bikes, I guess, even as a kid. Like um, my my father was big into motocross, and that was the sort of the first little inkling that I was into um, push bikes. Was that when I got to an age where I would have been sort of the ideal kid to get into motocross. It was in the 80s. Dad was a, a self-employed builder. And of course, in the recession, he had no work, no money. So motocross was off the table as an expensive hobby. So uh, along came mountain bikes. And uh, I got uh, given a mountain bike and off I went and entered some races, realized I was going to be you know, all right at it. And uh, just sort of carried on with it from there. And, and since then... I've been in all sorts of different uh, race teams and sponsored by over the years and stuff. But um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Before we go on to that, though, there is definitely a connection with with cycling and motocross, isn't there? Have you have you raced cross since or that was your dad's thing? And did you get into it a little bit later? I did. Yeah. I mean, it's it, sadly it, it took a, a divorce and uh, the sale of a, a joint house to get me there. But um, OK. Okay. For another day and another over over a couple of beers, maybe. But um, yeah. No, essentially, yeah. I mean, I, I ended up with a a little bit of uh, cash from the settlement of a house, and I thought, you know what, this is my opportunity. I've always had that kind of in my blood, um, and yeah. so I often bought a, an enduro bike, actually, a, a Honda CRF two fifty, and uh, got into enduro um, probably about ten years ago now, and uh, never looked back. Really, I absolutely I, I adore motocross racing and, uh, and enduro racing. I follow it fanatically particularly the supercross in the u.s um so yeah i mean uh, that's that's a different side to 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 me it gets me away from from push bikes so to speak but still two wheels yeah well it's interesting i've got a couple of old t- uh, teammates as well that, that were on it came up through cross and obviously i had jacob hennessy on the podcast a couple of weeks ago i don't know if you've heard that but he he basically never ridden a, a gear bike till he was 19 and then was in the british squad within 12 months but he'd had a he'd come up through the motocross background that was his his background as an athlete for his athletic background yeah i mean in terms of being athletes i think they, these guys are often uh 
they're overshadowed in you know they talk about athletes and people being fit in various other sports but these guys are absolute machines I mean particularly I think uh, a lot of the documentaries I've watched on the, the Supercross guys I mean that sport is brutal I and mean, motocross yeah. in general is brutal and uh, yeah the, what the, what their bodies are going through um, out there when they're on the track and uh, you know sometimes they pop up some of the, the, the heart rate data and stuff when you're watching the the races and these guys are running at obscene heart rates like in the 190s for the yeah, they are they're just absolutely like killing it and uh, yeah you watch some of the training they do and the hours they put in those guys are probably some of the fittest athletes on the planet I think. yeah it's fantastic and I, and I have to say until i spoke to jake a couple of weeks ago i i really didn't appreciate that i think as someone who hasn't grown up with motorbikes or or been into it it's, it's easy just to to not appreciate just how athletic these these guys are yeah i mean from my side obviously i'm not racing at a high level i just do it for fun but uh, I would say hand on heart. I've done a lot of different sports in my life and, uh, you know, I can go and uh, do a 300 kilometer sportive or, or whatever. And yeah, you're going to be exhausted in, in one sense from that. But what I find with the motorbike stuff is just how much whole body it is. Every bit of me hurts. I mean, sometimes at the end of a, a long enduro, I have to get someone to help me take my boots off. You know, you're just physically that broken. Really? After three hours of holding on to that, that beast in, uh, you know, in the, in the woodlands and what have you, um, it is a, it's a tough sport, but that in a way is another crossover to cycling. I guess yeah as cyclists we love that pain we thrive on that difficulty and you know the physical suffering that we go through people love that and for me that's definitely a big part of the enjoyment of enduro as well yeah it's that's it's a lovely feeling to wake up on a monday morning and that sounds a bit sadistic but to feel like you've just been hit by a lorry that's <laughs> that's something that only only no, i think cyclists get that you know it's uh, i think we do i think we do we've digressed a little bit so i've taken you away from mountain biking so that was your first sort of racing you, you had some success on the mountain bike and then you took us through that and then you raced cross at the same time or you then yeah. moved over to cross how did that work well it's actually cross that i did first i mean where i live there was a local cyclocross scene and, and uh i raced a cyclocross bike it was my first ever off-road race and actually within the first sort of six months of me starting racing i entered the schoolboy national championships as it was then and i won the under 15s category or whatever and that that was the real spark then to think well hang on i've only been doing this sport a short while and i just won the schoolboy national championships and that's that, that, pretty good yeah it, it's progressed from there as i've been very fortunate over the years to you know have a, a bit of support from brands and, and other sponsors and and managed to you know pick my way through the different age categories and eventually race at an elite level and and that sort of went on to riding you know, for Great Britain in cyclocross and mountain bike for me, um, which was an amazing privilege and and took me to some great places around the world riding my bike as well, which was, was awesome. Yeah, amazing. Get to travel with it as well. And and how has the sport domestically here in the UK uh, grown since since you were coming through as as a junior and with the national team? Uh, in in some ways, I look back on what I what I did with cycling, and there's an, a slight element of jealousy. Um, I'll be honest. I feel like yeah. if I if I could have achieved all the things I did and the results I got as a bike rider now, that maybe would have changed my career pathway completely. Um, because ultimately when I was an up and coming rider, there was, there was no funding. There was no, you know, mountain biking was a, almost an unheard of sport. Um, cyclocross too, to be honest, it was a very, very, you know, poor discipline. There was hardly any money and funding coming from British cycling in those days. Cause there was none of that lottery support that we've had since. And, you know, all the sort of you know big input from big name sponsors that you have now, and there was no kind of youth development programs and all that stuff that's in place now to spot talent early and get riders on the schemes and, and, and really push them forward with proper coaching and help and so on. None of that really existed when I was young. I mean, I'm coming up 44 uh, soon. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, 25 years ago now. Yeah. So that, you know, way i kind of feel you know it's, it's fantastic that the youngsters now have got that that network of support in place but uh but yeah you know 
Hey-ho. And on the mountain bike side, did you ever come across James Sutton? James Sutton, yes, indeed I did. I, I raced with really? Bits and Bobs because he was from the south as well. I'm from the south of England. So, yeah, I know James yeah, vaguely. That's a, that's a small world. He's, he's a great friend and a teammate over in Hong Kong. I've, I've raced with him for the last few years over there. Ah, nice. Yeah, yeah very. So we, so we digress a little bit. So obviously, um, and I spoke to you, you must know Chris McNamara as well, do you? Oh, yeah. We had him. Yeah, 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 Chris yeah, uh, yeah, Chris is a good from from uh, from cycling, but also oddly, uh, I met Chris first from uh, I was searching for for subjects for my university dissertation, which was essentially based around bike fitting, which is uh, a topic which you know I'd studied and that was something I was quite passionate about back then. And Chris was one of the volunteers that came into the lab to be my one of my lab rats for my dissertation. So that's where I first met Chris, and yeah, they've been racing over the years since. But because you did sports science, didn't you? That was your I did, yeah, route. yeah, that was. That was kind of my in um, into journalism, weirdly, but that's, that's a, another slightly convoluted story. But um, yeah, I did sports science and I, my area of interest within that was definitely biomechanics and physiology. And because I was obviously racing at a reasonable level myself then as an athlete, so I was really into learning about what was going on in my body and how maybe I could use that knowledge to improve my own performances and so on. So yeah, I really studied bike fit, biomechanics of cycling and also um, uh, yeah, physiology. And that, that was kind of at the forefront of that. I suppose that was just coming into vogue at that time, I suppose, when you were when you were studying. It was kind of unheard of, actually, then. Um, yeah. You know, and again, in hindsight, I, it's almost like I was studying something which I didn't really know the importance of at that time. I was at university in 96 through to 99, and um, my my undergraduate dissertation was essentially to build a bike fitting ergometer. So a bike which you could adjust in every possible way, change the handlebars, change the seat, the pedals and all that stuff so that the athletes coming into the lab weren't just stuck on one of these kind of exercise bike style rigs, which were the ergometers of that day, which is something that I very much, um, you know, obviously I was being tested as an athlete myself and you go into these labs and get wired up to all these machines and you ride this horrible thing with these big cow horn handlebars with this blue plastic coating on them and you're just trying to go to your maximum and never really feeling like it was happening because you're just like this bike doesn't feel like a bike to me and so that was kind of yeah where that came from and uh, yeah when you think back now like to how important and how much emphasis now is placed on bike fitting but ultimately that kind of helped me in my pathway because through the knowledge I gained there I ended up doing bike fitting in in retailing off the back of that and then Long and short of that was that was how I sort of found my way into journalism through being the um, one of the expert panel for Cycling Weekly. They had this weekly questionnaire part of the magazine, which was Ask the Expert. And so any sort of bike fit related questions were, were coming through to me. I just started answering those questions and that sort of snowballed into becoming more and more and more. And then that's, uh, yeah, here I am. The rest of journalism. So somewhere along there, you ended up working as a, with British Cycling as well from a mechanics perspective. Is that correct? Yeah, I guess that just came off the back of having ridden GB cycle. Okay. You know, I've always been a very technical person and very mechanically minded. Um, and, you know, I'd worked in bicycle retail as well. So it just sort of happened, really. I just sort of fell into it. They asked me for some help at one of the world championships uh, many years ago. And they were short of hands and they knew I was a good mechanic and said, would I do it? And then, yeah, that sort of it ended up being something I did for about the next four or five years, going to various World Cups or World Championships and just helping out the, you know, only on a, it was a part-time thing. It was never a full-time job, but something I very much enjoyed. I loved that, getting involved and, uh, yeah, being up to my knees in mud and jet washing riders' bikes and the kind of stress and adrenaline of the speed of cyclocross. And, yeah, it's great. Yeah, a lot of fun. A lot of fun. There isn't much you haven't done, really, is there? 
<laughs> in the cycling world uh, yeah i mean i have bounced around the, the bike industry in a yeah yeah various roles it, it could be said for sure yeah definitely so your foray into journalism was obviously with cycling weekly and when did you join cyclist magazine and and, and tell us about that that journey and, and to where you're at the moment well i was i was actually contacted by someone at dennis publishing and it's, they said you know they're thinking of, of starting a cycling magazine would i be interested in being part of the editorial team and uh, had a few meetings and yeah it's uh it was a transition which at the time was a good one for me. Um, the product seemed really exciting, what they were offering. And just to have that blank canvas, I mean, if I'm honest, the thing with Cycling Weekly is it was a kind of set in stone magazine. You know, it's a, it was an institution almost when I worked there. It's such a big thing. And each week the, you were basically just filling a template. The, the magazine was the magazine and you just pop your content in and away you go. And when, you, when you're trying to pump out a magazine every week, it's understandable why it's that way. But to go to cyclists and have this freedom of like, we've got this monthly magazine and we can pretty much just flat plan it how we want every month and all these amazing feature opportunities and, and things we could do with it. And uh, it just seemed like too too good opportunity to miss. And yeah, I've, I've been there now just over eight years. So yeah. eight years and because you just had just had that was it the hundredth edition was that right yeah we're actually, well, just yeah. press 103 now so the months are ticking on by but yeah just before lockdown was uh, issue 100 yeah right on the cusp of lockdown actually and that that was challenging in itself because we had some some special stuff happening around issue 100 so um that was when our workload was probably at its biggest right at the point where we're all told uh, to leave the office so yeah. yeah so that eight-year journey i mean a, a lot has happened in in that time not only within cycling but but also within the sort of print press talk us through the the journey and and the growth and how you grew the business and then subsequent challenges that you've had along the way yeah for sure i mean print stuff has has definitely suffered over that in that time scale yeah that's that's undoubted you know that's that's for sure but i I think our product is protected by two things one standing alone in its own little space in in the market i think is the first i mean we the product we make is quite a premium look and feel and the content is very much driven towards the kind of reader experience in terms of we you know we write these features we go to all these amazing places around the world and we write these features in a kind of first person present tense so that it puts the, the reader actually there with you almost you know and it's a different way of, of presenting this stuff to what the other magazines do so i think in in the way that we we you know present cyclist is uh it keeps it separate and therefore you know we've got our sort of core readership that, um, and a good following that's that stay loyal to us through um and that that's that's helped in times when you've seen other print titles, their, their sales are falling off a cliff, some of them, um, if I'm honest. And we've, although we've seen a decline, yeah, obviously we would, but, you know, our decline has been much more controlled and much more steady. So I feel like our product is a little bit more, uh, yeah, kind of got a bit more longevity because of what it is. Yeah. And for those of you listening that haven't picked up a Cyclist magazine, firstly do or subscribe and we'll put all the notes as ever in the show notes. But it, it is just the feel and dare I say it bizarrely the smell and the feel of the the publication is that sort of quality and there's just magnificent images in there as well and some great articles and a lot of focus around travel yeah definitely and I think those are the things that inspire people you know that we spend a huge amount of, uh, of our investment is on like as you just pointed out the photography just so that a reader picks up that magazine and opens that page and just go wow you know I'd love to go and ride there and then hopefully you know realize that it's not that difficult to take your bike and go to all these amazing places actually these days it's, it's all feasible so you know just inspiring people to to look broaden their horizons and uh, get out on bikes and, and go and do some cool stuff like we have which is what it's all about right yeah, yeah. What it's all about. and do you get to travel a lot with the the articles as well you get to put your hand up and say that oh, i'll go to x destination and and write that for you is that the perk of the job that is yeah for sure it's a, it's a real perk of the job i mean that's that's something that you really i guess you you take it for granted when you've been doing it perhaps as long as i have 
have. But then certainly lockdown has really, you know, really made it made me aware of how much I miss having that ability to go to places on my bike and, and make these features happen but yeah sometimes in the office there's a, a little bit of infighting about who gets to go <laughs> to the, these places yeah. but um you know it's it's all good we all get to go to different locations around the world and you know we split up the workload accordingly so you know you, you win some you lose some kind of you know yeah, of course. actually a good point I haven't really thought about that that must be a challenge with regards to lockdown from a content perspective you haven't been able to travel did you have did you guys have stuff in the diary that's had to be cancelled obviously and, and and how are you getting on with the, the content creation piece yeah heaps of stuff's had to be canned because of this um you know but uh, that's that is what it is but luckily with cyclists because we have been going now for you know 100 issues plus obviously you generate a little bit of of a bank of stock almost that's something which you know we've been able to fall back on we've got ride features in the bank and sportive features in the bank and you know, so maybe some interviews and all that stuff which is yeah waiting in the wings it's not like we have tons of this content you know it, there definitely is some you know need to get out and start building content again but yeah with cyclists for sure there was uh you know features to pull and fall back on cyclists off-road on on the other hand to, to just throw that one into the, the balance that's yeah, really yeah for sure i'm definitely keen to hear about that but i just want to go back, go back to cyclists really quickly of of the hundred and so publications that you've been involved in where where are your favorite places that you visited to to go write about or your favorite events what are your kind of key highlights from the eight years so far oh man there's been lots i think i think first from a personal level i'm very drawn to Colorado. I've done a few really good features out there for various things that we've done with the mag, uh, either brand-based stuff or uh, or event-based. And yeah, I, I'm, I just love Boulder in particular is one I think one of my favourite places on earth. Um, every time I visited Boulder, I, I've always come away thinking, God, I could move here like in a heartbeat. It's uh, it's such a cool place. Yeah, people watching in Boulder is an interesting experience. I always I look around and pretty much everyone you see just looks like they're about to you know go running into the mountains or go climbing or or go mountain biking or, or yeah they're loading up some motorbikes into the back of their pickup to take them off into the countryside or something yeah they're just it's just this amazing vibe in boulder a very outgoing outdoorsy cool you know it's a it's a great city so um or town um so yeah that's that's certainly high on my list other places maybe like morocco as well i think one of my best ever experiences on a bike was riding across morocco and doing some some stuff on a feature out there where you're just in the middle of nowhere in these little villages and then kids would from the local school would see this cyclist coming along the road and they'd run out to the roadside and they'd be there with their hands up wanting to do high fives as you came through the little village and like like that you just it's hard to put into words how like how cool that is you know so yeah it's such varied experiences that we've had doing creating the content that we've done over those hundred issues and i'm sure all of my colleagues would say exactly the same we've been you know up mountains in bhutan we've been in the you know remote areas in brazil and colombia and been all over and, and created some amazing stuff which we're very privileged to to be able to do that and uh yeah enjoy creating things with, with bikes absolutely yeah something obviously setting up i'm found i'm very passionate about as well i think there's there's just no better way to see the bi- world than on a bike and to your point about the sort of communities and people rushing out just I, I just love going to new places and meeting new people and the bike's just a great way to do it yeah Absolutely. And you just see these these cultures as well. Um, I mean, again, to use Morocco as an example, you know, sometimes you, you might be picked up from an airport by, I don't know, a posh Mercedes Vito uh, minibus and you get a guy take your bike bag off you and, you know, everything will be super luxurious and you go to this lovely hotel and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that's one side. And then and another side might be that you get picked up in this rickety old vehicle and driven back to this place where you, you, you have no idea where you're going sometimes and I, I remember distinctly in Morocco we pulled up in this sort of location and uh, this guy with a 
what looked like a, a giant wheelbarrow basically just appeared out of this little alleyway and just took our bike bags out of the back of the, the, the van and chucked them in the back of this like big wheelbarrow and then just toddled off with them and i was like oh do we are we supposed to follow him or <laughs> um but yeah brilliant yeah that's cool and you mentioned earlier briefly and i cut you off very rudely but but Tell us now about your new brainchild or your your new publication, Cyclist Off-Road. How did that come about and when did it launch? Okay, so yeah, we we launched uh, Off-Road back in the the spring last year and just purely as an answer to this massively growing sector of the industry, really. There's a huge amount of growth. It's probably what is the other than e-bikes maybe the biggest growing area of, of cycling right now and uh, brands uh, are, are pumping a lot of resources and, and energy into that right now and it seemed like there was no vehicle for anyone to put this content out there and we were getting uh, more and more gravel for one i'm not sure if i like that term even but you know gravel products gravel bikes uh, and kit and so on being sort of pushed towards cyclists and at some point we had to say look we're, we're diluting our, our road product by putting more and more of the gravel stuff in it so therefore why don't we give it his own voice and that's kind of yeah just where it came from really we just decided to go go all in and uh, and make a magazine and, and we did in a time when you know print is, is as we said earlier having a hard time so it was a kind of a brave move but uh yeah off-road has been really well received it's currently only two issues a year so we do a spring one and then a late summer one so it's march and september split yeah although that may yeah going forward that may change may become more um, hopefully yeah, yeah yeah it continues to grow but yeah it's exciting it's another another whole world of exploration that that opens up you know roads only take you so far i've just been writing a feature uh, with a colleague about uh, something on the colder tourmalade which is coming up in an upcoming issue about how the, the road stops at uh, you know at the place where the pass crosses over on the tarmac and everyone thinks that's the summit of the tourmalade and that's what they talk about but actually there's a if you make a left turn there there's a gravel road that goes up another 600 vertical meters to the top of the, the peak de midi you know there's a gravel just opens up these opportunities that you know you don't always get on a road bike so it's in terms of exploration for us and, and more new topics to cover, more new places to go, uh, it's just, yeah, heaps of, heaps of cool, exciting stuff to talk about. Yeah, certainly, I think we've we've heard already through through your career, you've kind of been ahead of the curve and a lot of different things that you've got yourself into. But yeah, I, I think that just with the growth, it's such an interesting topic. I think there's definitely, even with lockdown, just, just people looking for something a little bit different. And Gravels certainly is answering that, even with regards to just getting off the roads from a from a car perspective or danger perspective but just that exploration thing it sort of ticks that box and it's just brilliant to see riders like Matthew van der Poel and the diversification of cycling across discipline as well it's just great to see yeah and the, the point you made there really hit the nail on the head and that, that I think is getting off the roads and getting away from traffic and that is such an appealing thing on a bike I think for my little Ed's letter piece that I wrote in the last issue of, of Off-Road, I kind of touched on that when I kind of said about, the. I can't remember the last time I actually had a proper sociable road ride. Yeah. You socialize at the end of the road ride at the calf or if you have a cafe stop halfway round or, or whatever. But actually, whilst you're on a road bike, most of the time that feels like you're strung out in single file and your communication with the riders around you is to point out potholes or shout, there's a car coming or, or whatever. And, and then I've had business meetings with clients and, and brands and what have you on gravel bikes recently where we've gone out I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I live in the New Forest and there's just mile after mile after mile of gravel trails that I can, can ride. And we can go and ride two, three, four abreast on a gravel road. We can chat freely. There's no, you know, cars, no distractions, no danger. Um, and you can ride like that for hours on end. And, and for me, that's that was a real kind of like a realization of, of the step change that gravel offers you as a rider over 
going out in groups on the road where you're just basically inciting the rage of motorists at any point when you ride to abreast or uh, you know in a group yeah which i think kind of got worse off the back of the back of lockdown i think so drivers seem to be a little bit angrier oh uh, certainly in the uk anyway definitely yeah um my wife actually got spat at by um a guy who yeah because it was in the early early stage of the the lockdown and you know there was that whole backlash against well cyclists aren't obeying the rules they're still going out riding their bike and even though my wife had only gone on a short ride you know locally you know some motorists decided to uh, take offense at the fact that she was out riding her bike when she maybe should have been not you know at home which wasn't the case obviously that was she was perfectly within her rights to be out for a ride for an hour or so but yeah there was a huge amount of, uh, of backlash um, I heard of another incident as well with another local rider that got knocked into the curb. A motorist came alongside, got angry that he was out riding during the lockdown period and, and actually forced him left until he hit the curb and fell off. So there's some, some awful stories of, of, yeah, just bad vibes between cyclists and motorists. But you're right. I think on the whole, that that relationship is is a difficult one to repair. Uh, it's it's not in a good place. Aye, absolutely. And I, I'm assuming the magazine is is covering some of just the the boom in in, in events globally at the moment. It's these these gravel events. Which ones have you covered? Which one are you, which ones are you going to be covering? And and what should everyone be looking out to for, for in terms of gravel events that seem to be popping up everywhere at the moment? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's heaps to choose from. I mean, we've covered the the classic ones, if you like, the dirty Kansas, the dirty Reva and you know the, the ones which you know the, the obvious ones if you like uh, and then you've got other stuff like transcontinental um which is not specifically a gravel event but you know it's more of that kind of big bikepacking adventure race those are becoming huge as well to, to jet there i mean i really so bikepacking as well do, do you cover that as part of the magazine because i really feel that there's a, a big acceleration into just getting out for bikepacking adventures as well Absolutely, we do. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's one of the again the, the beautiful areas within the gravel bike topic, if you like. I mean, as I say, gravel is a bit of a weird kind of embrace all word that they use um, for this new generation or this new era of, of cycling or whatever you want to call it. But yeah, I mean, within there, definitely bike packing is a big deal. I mean, lots of companies now have got some really cool bags that can uh, you know basically go on any bike. Um, so it's not not like the old days where you had to have big heavy pannier racks and, and panniers and things like that. You know, you've got these super lightweight bags that can you know hang off various bits and areas of the bike and yeah you can be free to to go and um go and uh, make your own adventures yeah absolutely and for people that are think that haven't quite discovered gravel yet or are thinking about getting into it what, what can you tell them in terms of equipment they need and, and how they can find routes and what advice would you give to people that are curious about the sort of growing movement? I would say best piece of advice I could give anyone would be to just not overthink yeah. it in the uh, early stages. Like um, you don't have to travel to the ends of the earth to have a really good adventure. I think you could go probably within 50 kilometers maximum of your house. And most people within that kind of circumference could find somewhere where they could have a great experience on a bike and even stay out overnight under the stars or whatever it is they want to do. So yeah, you don't need to to fly to Timbuktu to, to have a really cool bikepacking or gravel adventure. There is stuff on our doorstep and we've got features based around that concept coming up in, in upcoming issues to try and sort of, yeah, just sow that seed into people's mind that you don't have to go to far flung places in the far corners of the earth. And um, the other thing would be to, yeah, not, not go too heavy on the equipment. Um, it's it's interesting when you talk to the people that actually uh, do these huge events like the Transcon 
um, or the Tour Divide, things like that. I had a really nice interview with Josh Ibert, who was, uh, you know, one of the top placed finishers in the Tour Divide race across the, the Rockies. And um, he he specifically said how he started out with all this kit and gradually the more he's done it, the more and more stuff he's decided not to bring. And actually sometimes it's better to take less and, and, and just, yeah, enjoy it for what it is and, and don't try to take everything in the kitchen sink. So yeah, just simplify it, I guess, is what I'm saying. Keep it local, keep it Keep what you what you're trying to achieve simple, and you can still have a really cool cool fun experience. Yeah, keep it inclusive. It's kind of an, the whole gravel movement's got a nice vibe to it as well. It's it's sort of friendly and exclusive. I think I think road cycling has a has a bad reputation at times historically around maybe being slightly pretentious at times, but but gravel certainly at the moment seems very inclusive, and which is what we like to see, right? Definitely, and um, I would agree that there were there are certain areas of road cycling that can be a bit stuffy and a bit cliquey, but I think that's that's probably a generalisation. I think most road clubs are quite welcoming you know certainly where I live I wouldn't say there was uh, any road clubs that aren't sort of you know would welcome new members and and would make someone feel welcome and and included included and so on but yeah you're right there's definitely a bit like I guess it comes from the mountain bike vibe you know there was always uh, that was always the the, uh, analogy between road and mountain bike back in the early 90s the mountain bikers were kind of viewed as like hippies that were just you know relaxed and chilled and the roadies were all a bit more serious and you know they'd be uh you know, shaving their legs and all, all that kind of stuff and getting their massages before their events and the, the mountain bikers were probably down the pub having a, a last beer but yeah i think that that has kind of moved across a little bit to the the gravel side in so much that you probably almost to use the beer example there you you probably would feel comfortable on a gravel ride stopping in a pub for lunch and having a beer because that kind of mentality of it you probably find less roadies that would do that they might stop for an espresso but less so the kind of uh, that's because i think if again it's probably a bit of a generalization but most road guys are probably a little bit more focused on the performance data that they've got a target that they want to hit a certain distance maybe or or to the even more serious guys it might be a certain power output or, or whatever it is they're trying to achieve whereas i think as a broader sort of message for the gravel market it's it's more a case that your your goal for the day is just to go out and ride your bike so yeah no matter if you start all day or long or short as you want yeah it's less about power numbers and more actually it's more about a lot of it's about distance right i just I mean obviously un, unfound as, as a platform we're kind of a social media platform for cyclists and i just just popping on today more and more gravel rides being posted on there and um one of our members today posted a new event in oslo in just outside oslo yep. the oslo gravel grinder 259 kilometers with 6,000 meters of climbing 90 wow. percent on gravel just outside oslo it took nearly 17 hours to do it so I mean, that's, that's a full fun day out, isn't it? I mean, what does it, well, fun in inverted commas, but I mean, that's, that sounds fantastic. I'd love to give that a crack. Yeah, I think they call that type two fun, don't they? So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly that, exactly that. But yeah. it, it, that's what I mean. it offers something a little bit different, doesn't it? Yeah, um, and weirdly, that, that mentality that we spoke about earlier on, the slightly sadistic mental side to cycling that we have, where if you make an event brutally hard, that seems to be the ones that attract the most people. Um, yeah. You know, it's uh, it's crazy that, you, that, that 260Ks off-road in a day is a big ask of anybody, even a very, very fit, you know, elite-level athlete. That's that's a huge ask. So, um, yeah, but those are the events that get the numbers. People want to challenge themselves. They want to feel what it's like to go to breaking point and sometimes beyond. And, yeah. Yeah, that's what I, I – I don't know sure. Do you know Ryan Steers, the, the gravel and mountain biker in the US? Yeah, name rings a bell, yeah, for sure. I don't know him, but 
uh, we had him uh, we had him on the podcast and i think we were talking actually we're talking with chris as well maybe maybe the movement as well with the aging cyclist as well as you get a little bit older you your sort of crit racing days your top end power might be sort of petering out but you know these long gravel events you've still got a good engine you can still do pretty well in and have a great day out at and certainly following him at dirty cancer a couple of years ago the, the wheels came off i think he was in like sixth place after 100 miles i was following him from hong kong and then uh, the, the wheels slowly came off for the second hundred miles so yeah it's, 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 it's yeah so it has that appeal in terms of getting a little bit older and, and still being able to challenge yourself and being competitive as well it does for sure and there's, there's plenty of examples of ex-pros from the the you know the pro tour peloton world tour peloton sorry who have uh, who have yeah sort of come to the end of their useful life within the the, the race teams and have found their place finding you know riding gravel events and, and there are other other riders like yeah, Lachlan Morton who just go off and and do their own thing and have, have probably created you know a huge amount of uh, social following for themselves based on what they've done on gravel more so than they would have done as a professional bike racer as a domestic you know sort of almost anonymously within the, the grand tours and so on but yeah I mean there's there's definitely and another one that comes to mind is Ted King you know he was a you know, world tour rider for many years and then he pops up you know, winning Dirty Kanza and you think, wow, you know, for these guys, as you rightly said, they've got massive engines from all these years of, of riding thousands and thousands of kilometers a, you know, a month or, or whatever. And those engines haven't disappeared. And uh, the, the beauty of gravel is that so much of that is still relevant. It's not quite so technical as mountain biking. So the transition yeah. is easier to things like the Dirty Kanza uh, and so on. So yeah, definitely there's a, a trend of that happening yeah of course and where do you see obviously we're seeing some fantastic tech on the gravel side coming through and the off-road side coming through where where do you see that evolution going on the gravel side do you, do you see obviously we're seeing i think we're seeing a little bit of suspension coming in now do you think it depends on the terrain what what are your views on the tech where where, where can you see that going over the next few years i think it'll be a really interesting journey for the next couple of years oddly i'm actually uh i'm sitting in my garage as we speak because this is now my my little office while we're in lockdown because my wife also has to work in the house so i'm sitting in my garage at the moment i'm actually looking at the uh the niner mcr rdo which is the full suspension bike that they they brought out recently and you know, that bike has been quite a divisive bike because it is you know, visually it's very much like a full suspension mountain bike with uh, you know a, a full-on shock system in the rear and a fox suspension fork as well and yeah it's definitely uh prompted a lot of a lot of debate about does suspension have a, a place in gravel and there's also cannondale have just launched a lefty gravel fork that, yeah stone carbon so yeah there's there's definitely really cool and exciting tech that's coming into gravel and um, personally i think what will happen is we'll see a big like influx of new tech and things will probably go a little bit sort of beyond where we need and then i think we'll see it sort of peg back slightly and we'll land somewhere you know back maybe nearer the middle point because <clears throat> i do think at the moment there's a tendency to overthink the gravel and some of the stuff that's coming out is probably a bit overkill but overall it's i'll, I'll never uh, be uh, down on someone who who innovates you know i think fair play you know this is a cycling is such a an exciting sport why not just push the boundaries a little bit and uh, come up with these wacky ideas and hey they don't all have to work um you know I think back to the the launch of the trek de Marne when they they first came on board with that bike and that was the first time we'd ever seen a road bike with with a sort of linkage system in there which gave you some sort of suspension in in the back end and yeah that was madness at the time you're just thinking like wow like thinking really outside the box with how they achieved that and actually that bike has become a stalwart of the the trek range now it's really stood the test of time and they developed that idea and that concept on to you know into other areas of the range as well and i just think you know fair play to trek for being ballsy enough to try that kind of stuff so you know i'll never be down on a brand for for bringing out new ideas 
ideas and new technology. And some of them will be a bit wacky and they'll probably get a bit of bad press because people will be you know, negative about it. But ultimately, yeah, it's, it's all good. It all helps us to, to ride and, and have fun. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, just, it's such a difficult balancing act for the, for the bike brands, isn't it? In terms of creating new innovation, obviously there's a marketing and sales element to that as well. But within an industry where margins are so extremely tight, you know, yeah, cycling is growing, but it's such a difficult balancing act for, for the big bike brands, isn't it? Or, or all bike brands. Yeah, it is. But, you know, those guys, they, those guys know what they're doing, you know, kind of in my head, what you're saying there is, you know, is there a risk element to bringing out these new ideas in that, you know, it could potentially kill a brand if, if something that they do doesn't work. But I don't think there's a, there's a risk of that per se. You know, these guys are you know, hugely uh, experienced in what they're doing. And yeah, there's, there's very little doubt that the, the big brands particularly, are, you know, they know the market, they know they've researched this thoroughly. And yeah, it's, as, as I said, I think personally, it'd be very hard to do a brand down for just trying something new and, and getting ideas out there. Yeah, yeah, I meant almost the other way. Like it's it's difficult. I'm sure they've got loads of stuff they want to do, but it's it's just a difficult balancing act, isn't it? In terms yeah, of yeah, I mean, I guess that's not on the gravel side. I mean, certainly in the road side, we hear that a lot from brands. You know, as part of my job, I speak to a lot of brand engineers and, and people that are at the coalface of, of designing these bikes, and so much is you know they're they're tied so much to the UCI rules. Um, yeah, yeah, so there's actually less of that on the gravel side, right? There's probably more creativity. They can do more from an engineering side, absolutely right? Absolutely, they can. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. to the best of my knowledge, the, the rules governing gravel bikes are pretty relaxed. Mm. Sure the UCI will soon get onto that and, uh, and stick some some more stringent restrictions in place if there are going to be more and more sort of gravel. events. But yeah. but yeah, at the moment, I mean, a gravel bike is what you make it. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, we've actually had a, a, an engineer on here talking about the uh, the frustrations of the UCI uh, regulations at times. But while, while they're necessary, it's uh, fr- frustrating if you want to be creative as an engineer, I think, on the roadside. Definitely, yeah. Definitely. So what, what else can you tell us a little bit more about um, upcoming issues? So you've got the autumn one coming out in September is that right yeah so next issue um is well underway now uh, obviously we've been a little bit restricted with the the sort of foreign stuff that we could do and as i kind of was going to touch on earlier on when we were talking about having sort of a backlog of content for off-road we don't have that right right now because uh, we're a bit more hands yeah. out that title because it's so new so this summer as uh, would have been a summer where we would have been off as a team creating amazing ride content and and going to events and covering all of that which we haven't been able to do obviously so we'll need to be a little bit more creative with what comes out in the uh, the autumn issue but it will still be a fantastic issue for sure uh product wise it's there's there's just too much I, I've, there's too many good bikes and, and products coming out in the gravel sector at the moment i could i could fill another three magazines with what we've got on offer at the minute so yeah product wise it's going to be a banger of an issue loads of cool stuff including as i said the bike that's sitting close to me right now that niner uh, mcr nine rdo which is that that super divisive full sus gravel bike so i'll be talking yeah, and you, you've had a chance to have a ride of that what, what are your are you allowed to tell, tell us your views uh well i won't uh, i won't give too many spoilers away but um you know it's i if i was going to classify that bike i think it's going to be a very acquired taste it's going to suit a certain type of rider and yeah that may or may not be me um i won't tell you which way I, i'm going but you know that's uh I, I love it. I love what they've done with it. And as I said a couple of times earlier, I, I would certainly applaud them for being the, the first brand to go, you know what, we can go all in with this and do a proper full sus gravel bike. Great. I love love to see that. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to be an acquired taste, that one. Oh, good. Well, I look forward to, to reading that. And how can everyone find, obviously, you'll, you'll give us all the, the links and stuff for people if they want to subscribe to the magazine. Yep. Can you send us all that? And let us know all the details. Yeah, I mean, subscriptions are all done um, through cyclist.co.uk and then uh, we have forward shop which yeah i think that's uh that's 
can all be done through their certainly off-road at the moment that there isn't a subscription option for off-road because it's still quite new so as that builds into more of its own brand then there will be an opportunity to subscribe to off-road as well so it's just a case of buying it when it comes out online is, is that correct yeah, or it's, it's now available in a newsstand. So we delayed the uh, the on-sale date for the current one because of lockdown. A lot of our sales obviously happen in high street shops like WH Smith's and in, in airports and things like that, which weren't going to happen clearly. So that's actually launched just yesterday. In fact, issue three went on newsstand officially. So that's now, uh, now out in, on the high street and in supermarkets and so on. But yes, you can buy it directly through the shop online as well. Excellent. Uh, I was just thinking that people could probably can get it from the shops and stuff. So, okay, if, if you're out there, you should be able to find a copy. But if not, and you, you ship globally as well for people yeah. listening that want to get their hands on that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably the easier option, actually, because you can literally just buy it and it will turn up the next day to your door or whatever. So it's, uh, yeah, that's hassle-free way of, of buying the mag. Yeah, very good. And just quickly, obviously, you, you tried in a couple of couple of bikes there you mentioned. What, what's your, your sort of personal bike of choice at the moment? What are you riding yourself? Talk us through it. Road or gravel? Well, both. Let's go with road. What are you riding on the road at the moment? Well, in terms of test bikes, what I've just stopped, just finished testing for the, the last issue of Cyclist was actually a Festka, which is a, a Czech carbon brand, which is phenomenally kind of, uh, high tech with the way they think about creating their frames really really cool bike so yeah you'd be able to read about my thoughts on the the fesca spectre which is uh probably the most colorful bike i've, I've seen in a long long time <laughs> the paint job is inspired by the ski wear of the kind of early 90s uh, era oh, right give you yeah. some, some clues as to what that might look like in terms of uh, other bikes at the moment, the new brand new Trek Amonda has just landed with me. So that's my current test bike for this upcoming issue on the, the cyclist side of things. That's a really exciting bike because the Amonda was obviously Trek launched that bike with one goal in mind, and that was to be the lightest production road bike on the on the market. And they succeeded with that when it first launched, which I think was way back in 2013 now. Um, but this yeah. is sort of the third generation of that bike now. So brand new and yeah, gone in the way that you might expect. So everything's weight's come down stiffer but more aero as well so all those those kind of modern trends that we're seeing track is applied in its own way slightly differently to some um so yeah that's an exciting bike i'm looking forward to spending some some good miles on my own bike well it's a it's a few years old now but um certainly the the traditional looking cannondale super six evo is a, a real personal favorite of mine it's a bike which i've always used as almost like my benchmark yeah yeah, yeah. a good bike such a well-respected bike and i think that there's hardly a cycling journalist i've ever met that could say much bad about that bike and so that's kind of become my own go-to uh and that's that, which which edition is that is that the one where they've Drop the seat stays or the seat no, stays. No, mine's, the, mine's a slightly earlier generation than that, so the more yeah. looking, you know, sort of horizontal top tube, round, more round tubes, that kind of thing. But that's a, a personal favourite of mine. That'll be a bike that yeah, I love find it. very hard to ever give up. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll absolutely love that bike. I've actually got the that generation CAD 12 as well, which I'm a big fan of as well. It's a lovely bike, which is good. And you mentioned some of the places you've been to with work, um, Morocco and Boulder, but on a personal level, where, where do you, where are your favourite places to, to go ride the bike? Well, I mean, I, I'm lucky to, to live in a beautiful part of England. So if I, if I need to get a, a fix of decent riding, I can get that almost from my doorstep these days. But I think oh, if I had to pick one place, I think it would probably be somewhere like Santa Cruz just because of the sheer variety that you can get out there like the times I've been there and ridden there probably half a dozen times now for various different features over the years and again that's another place which you leave and you just think wow I could what a place to live that would be amazing just so much yeah, very so varied the road riding out there is to die for the, the gravel riding out there is to die for um, mountain biking out there is you know it's amazing as well so 
and are you still riding a bit of everything? You're still doing a bit of mountain biking as well? And Yeah, yeah. I kind of had, um, had a little bit of a comeback when I turned 40. I stopped racing elite, I think, in 2012. And then 2016, it was going to be my 40th that year. So uh, I decided to have a little race as a vet and did that for a few years. So I still dabble with the mountain bikes, although definitely not competitively now. I've got a little daughter and that's that's been a game changer. So another reason to... to hang up the racing wheels for a while but um, not completely training is it no it's uh it's it's yeah it is fantastic but time consuming I, yeah. I, i'm not, not sleep consuming turn up and make up the numbers i think that's that's my problem i do like to do things and go all in so if i'm not able to do that then i'm better off just not doing it at all so yeah just ride for fun now and enjoy riding a road bike for work and for pleasure and yeah gravel bike whatever i I'll take take whatever comes, and if it's got an engine and uh, I get to do that as well, then all good. Very good. Anything with two wheels, you're all over it. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, awesome, excellent. Look, thank you so much for for taking the time. Uh, just with regards to cyclists, that's obviously they can subscribe online with that. We'll put the put the notes in. You've you've got a podcast now as well as as a business, haven't you? We have, yes. Um, yeah, Cyclist just recently launched its own podcast, so yeah. up and running now. That's good. That's a couple of my colleagues, James Spender and Joe Robinson. Yeah, those those guys are they're in entertaining definitely give us a, a quick plotted overview of the podcast where what's it called is it the cyclist magazine podcast or cyclist magazine yeah and yeah uh, that's that's how you, you can just search that. yeah don't search and are they, are they talking tech or are they talking what, what are they talking through what talk us through the sort of general subjects on the podcast they are talking pretty much anything and everything um you know those guys have got uh i mean joe has got an encyclopedic knowledge bike racing he's the kind of guy you said who came seventh on stage 14 of the 19 19- 94 Tour de France he'd probably tell you he's uh he's got this crazy encyclopedic knowledge of everything that's going on within the teams he knows who's where and what and yeah so he's really really good to talk about on the racing side of things and James as well really kind of knows his history and yeah they've got some good guests on the show as well I can't think who's this this current upcoming guest on the next issue sorry I'll have to uh, come back to you on that one but no those those guys are doing a great job especially because they've done it all through lockdown so this has been adventure that they've taken on without even being able, without even being able to be in the same room it's all been done remotely so um you know fair play which is the challenge i can definitely relate to but yeah. um yeah definitely and you've been putting more and more content onto youtube as well you'll, you'll send us for the, the link for that what kind of stuff can people look out for on youtube yeah i mean that's just the nature uh, of of the sort of changing world that we're in now a lot of people go to youtube to search for content so we're, we're just trying to bolster that side of our, our brand as well and uh it's an important area for us and so yeah you'll see a lot of uh, tech stuff going up on on the youtube channel now and also from my side obviously with my mechanical background we felt that it was uh it was good to do some maintenance stuff up there as well a lot of the things i've learned through many many years of being a a sort of i say gb level mechanic yeah there's a, a few tricks of the trade i can show people on the youtube channel and so yeah we'll be pushing more and more of that content um ongoing now superb great well we'll get all the links in the show notes for this show as well is there anything else have i missed anything 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 exciting you can tell us any any previews or uh, what's it super exciting at the moment um i don't know no i think we've covered a lot of, lot of good stuff there i don't think there's uh, there's too much we're missing no no it's difficult on the cyclist side i mean from a racing perspective that must have been tough what what um what are your views on the on the e-racing side have you been have you been watching any of it or following any of it or i haven't got too much into that if i'm honest um i'm watching from a distance uh, it'll be interesting yeah. to see what happens i mean i would say personally i i really see the value in e-racing you know so you do or you don't i do yeah absolutely do, yeah, yeah, yeah. Given, given the opportunity of not sort of naming brands here 
here, but I'll, I'll use the Z word. If I was to ride on Zwift, I would definitely choose to do a race over just riding around for the sake of it. I mean, that's just, again, horses for courses. Um, but my, my mentality is very much a competitive one. So if I've got the opportunity to enter in a, a, an e-race and go up against a, a bunch of guys, on, even if it's on a screen, I'd choose that over just riding around um, you know, for the sake of it. So, you know, that that's definitely something I understand and I, I value that and I have done that. You know, I've done quite a few Zwift races myself now. But uh, in terms of as a sport going forward, I mean, there's, yeah, there's lots it, it could achieve, but I'm not sure it's the, the most uh, exhilarating thing to watch as a spectator. No, I agree. And it's and it's interesting. Someone someone mentioned to me the other day, but bizarrely, I, I agree, it's not, not the most exhilarating to watch. But ironically, fr- from a financial model, it, c- it could make more sense than, than real road racing, right? I mean, you could probably balance it so it does make sense. So that's the, that's the crazy, crazy state of the, of the sport, I suppose, at the moment from on the roadside. It's, it's a different difficult time for road cycling it is but i don't think that you could ever replace the the atmosphere of that real life event i mean you've got to, you've got to remember that people will queue or or stand at the roadside for you know most of a day just to get a you know a one minute glimpse of the tour de france peloton swooshing past and that's the kind of passion that people will put behind going to watch a, a real life event and uh you know they want to see the the, the riders in you know blood and sweat in their eyeballs as they go past and they want to almost be able to reach out and touch their heroes and yeah you lose all of that as soon as you you put it onto a computer screen and that, that's the thing that i just don't think you can ever replace and uh, you know when they were talking about the tour de france being a spectatorless event this year i was thinking well you can't you can't work france without spectators it doesn't work you know so much of that event is the the atmosphere the and the entourage that goes with it so what's the off the bike stuff yes yeah, it's, it's the whole the whole circus of it all isn't it so it is. that's a massive i mean it's beyond a sporting event for france isn't it it's just a huge occasion every year yeah and you could say the same for the classics you know those events yeah I don't think really? it's a classic but i mean people will as i said before they'll stand for you know seven or eight hours at the roadside to wait just to get their glimpse of you know the riders coming past on the cobbles or whatever just to have that premium spot and they'll have a you know the whole family will be there there'll be a picnic and you know it's a it's a huge occasion um yeah something that you could never ever replicate that if, if you can't uh, can't see it for real that would, it just wouldn't work on a computer screen no exactly and, and you mentioned obviously you've raced as well to, to race in events like that as must be accelerating with the crowds there but also it helps grow the sport right to have to see your idols racing having idols helps grow the sport for the younger generations i think that's the key thing definitely yeah absolutely you want to you, you need those heroes to to grow up with and you're right you, you're not going to have idols i don't think through uh watching them race on a, on a computer no or maybe that's the weird world we're moving towards just generally as a whole but hey you never know in 2020 anything's possible anything is possible indeed never say never but uh, let's hope that's not the case um yeah right, good good Stu, look, i've taken up loads of your time thank you very much for joining us really appreciate it. it's been a fantastic insight into you and, and stay in touch won't you please do keep us in the loop in terms of what's going on at cyclists both both on your side and, and the traditional road roadside as well and, and and we'll catch up very soon no doubt absolutely it's been a pleasure talking to you jules and uh, yeah it's not often I get to rattle my gums for so long talking about myself. (laughs) You take care of yourself and we'll catch up very soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And more importantly, don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub. We'll see you on there.